0: Hello and welcome to Unit on Chain, a podcast series from Unit London. My name is Abigail Miller and I'm the Associate Director of Web3 at Unit London. Unit on Chain offers a ground for critical discussions for artists and thought leaders from the Web3 ecosystem. Season one of our podcast coincides with In Our Code, a highly anticipated exhibition of generative and digital art in partnership with AOI on display from September 13th to October 15th, exclusively at Unit London. In today's episode, Iskra Velichkova, Emily G, and William Mappan talk about historical artistic movements that inform their process, long and short form generative art, and randomness in their practice. Keep listening to find out more. Emily G is a generative artist and engineer based in New York City. Her artistic practice blends her passion for programming and aesthetics exploring the infinite creative possibilities of genitive artworks. She holds a B.A. in History of Art, Architecture, and an M.A. in Computational Science and Engineering from Harvard University. Iskra Vetchokova is a self-taught artist from Bulgaria and now based in Madrid. With a focus on the interplay between machines and humans, her works speak to the limitations of human condition in contrast to constant evolution of new technologies. Her practice is influenced by Balkan and Mediterranean culture while exploring the artificial intelligence in an industry in tandem with the nuances of artistic process. Based in Paris, William Mapon serves as a pioneer in the digital art space with an artistic practice that spans over 12 years. With a background in software development, Mapon combines his technical skills with his passion for pigment, light, and textures. Often alternating between various explorations of materiality, Mapon is recognized for his distinct style, which invites the viewer into an ethereal world. Welcome, everyone, to Unit on Chain. Today we have three amazing artists here with us. We have William Mapon, Iskra Vitalikova, and Emily Ajit. Welcome, all. Hi, everyone. Hi, thanks for the welcome. So just we'll jump straight into it today. Um, we have quite an exciting roster of questions, but just to get started, I wanted to get into each of your background, and I'll start with you, Emily. You have a background in art history and computational science and engineering. Can you give the listeners just kind of a brief overview of that and that
1: combination? Yeah, So I did study a history of art and architecture in that discipline, and that was for my bachelor's. And within that discipline, I focused a lot on modern art, actually. And then for my background in computational science and engineering, that was for master's, I focused a lot on machine learning and graphics. And so I suppose you could see the ways in which that kind of informs my practice. I would say that a lot of my art kind of references, maybe styles, works that have been done in our past, things that are part of our history in a lot of ways. And I would say that my studies in CSE have also influenced my work by teaching me sort of techniques that can be applied. And another part of my background is that I also spent time as like a software engineer. I worked for a little until somewhat recently, as a full time engineer. And that certainly has informed my practice, because it just gave me years of coding experience, I guess. Yeah, thank you. And
0: then talk about your background in data visualization and information design and how that influences your artwork today.
2: Yes, sure. Um, I think in everything. (laughs) Actually, I studied economics, which apparently has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. But at the end, economics was for me a tool to understand the world around. At that time, I thought that maybe that would help me to understand. But at the end, it was something that didn't really interest me so much. So I found, I think it was uh, two years before finishing my studies. I talked with a professor in the university and he... Told me about data visualization you know in economics you're all the time doing graphics and showing information somehow but you know he told me that maybe i would be more interested in something more creative since i was more creative at that time so yeah i just got a bit into the space there was a small hype here in spain at least of adding data to journalism and to show information in a different way so we we actually we both created a studio When i finished my studies and we we stayed there for uh, a few years and then we stopped let's say the activity in the studio and i ended up in a big corporation here in spain a center of excellence of a huge bank here and you know things like became more free for me i have a lot of resources there to do things i was surrounded by a huge team of scientists there And I kind of started to believe that what I really wanted to get in was more in the algorithms, more than in the data itself. So I, let's say, became an activity of philosophy of technology or something like that, something that I just made up for myself to be happy in the company. And then, you know, I got so much interested in how the algorithms work itself. How could I display more than the uh, visualization? How could I tell the story about how we are shaping, you know, society with these kind of algorithms. And, and, you know, I was, let's say, the translator between the scientists and our customers. So, yeah, that's, that's let's say, my history. And at some point, I just quit that activity because I needed to get further with my research. And the big company was not maybe the best place to get this freedom. So, yeah, I just switched more into generative art, which is the same thing, actually, for me just I'm not constrained by any data, any uh, concrete result. I'm just exploring myself, the possibilities of visualizations at the end. So this is a connection.
0: Yeah, I think with this roster of artists, with you both, and we'll have William join us just in a moment, your backgrounds have played such, I think, a major role into your art today, meaning it's kind of become like a perfect full circle of um, serendipitousness that we're seeing with these, I think, for everyone and the stories that we're seeing pop up. And that's kind of what we wanted to cover here today on Unit on Chain with all three of you is I think the three of you really are masters of narratives in your artwork, both short form and long form. And my first question jumping into that theme is how do you start initial project? Is it a research phase or is it kind of just an idea pops in your head and where do you go from there?
2: Okay, I can go with that. It depends. I think to, to follow, you know, the first question from data visualization to here, when I was working more in data visualization, I had to have a clear idea of what I was going to represent. Like that would be a representation of circles, how many circles would be, you know, how there would be displayed in the axis. And, you know, everything had to be like super clearly sketched before with the pencil and a piece of paper. And then, my work was finding a way to to actually do that. Now it's quite different and more exciting for me because now I have maybe a very vague idea of what I want to do. And then I start working with the machine and actually in the project that I'm presenting in the show, it's so uh, clear, this method, let's say. You just bring an idea you set that idea to the machine and then you obtain some kind of an expected result and then you start tuning that result into something that becomes a loop. You know, you have an idea and then the machine gives you something bigger than your own idea and then you, you, you start playing with that. So it's like you give something very little to the machine and then uh, the project becomes bigger. This is at least the most common, common way for me to deal with that.
1: Perfect.
0: William's not quite here yet, but he'll be joining. With Emily, can you talk about that process for you then?
1: Yeah. So I would say the process for me, I think it depends. I would say with my last couple of projects that I've worked on, the process has been very much like, oh, I have to make something. What do I want to make right now? And for me, that is sometimes really hard to articulate. It's really hard for me to put into words. So a lot of times what I end up doing is I'll start creating mood boards to sort of assemble, like what is it that I'm feeling? And that sort of conveys it in a visual language for me. So that sort of process, that inspiration process of just aggregating a bunch of images, aggregating textures, aggregating like all these different colors and themes, like usually in that process subconsciously, like what I'm inspired by kind of surfaces. And so I will often take a look at those mood boards and sort of then look at things and think a little bit algorithmically. For example, I looked at the last mood board I made, and I realized that a common theme that came up was flowers. I felt really inspired by flowers and florals. And that made a lot of sense for me because like, I am a huge plant mom. I own so many houseplants. I love taking care of them. And I also love seeing that flowers kind of like bloom. They're just so beautiful. And so I think like when I sort of realized that's what that's what I'm feeling right now. That's what I want to express. You then sort of tinker around with how can how can I do that algorithmically and for this last piece for flowers and bloom I ended up just doing like you know a circle packing algorithm and sort of going from there and as Iskra was kind of pointing to that sort of continual iteration process that back and forth with the machine that sort of came to rise in that process for me as well but really I think like there is a lot of upfront work in my process a lot of like initial exploration
0: Perfect. And welcome back, William. Would you like to introduce yourself and kind of your background of software development and you as well teach kind of how that impacts your art?
3: Yesterday I had a problem with my Wi-Fi. I think, but I hope I'm back.
0: We're glad you're here.
3: So yeah, I'm going from like a software engineering background. Actually, I really started my career with motion design at the very beginning and at some point I was, you know, coding a lot of my tools for motion design. So at some point I was like, yeah, maybe I should just code for a living. So I decided to do that for like the past 10 years, I've been a creative developer in a small studio in Paris, and I've been teaching as well in Paris at the same school I've been, it's called Goblin, and it's kind of a cursus where you develop, sometimes you do art and design, so it's very a mix of both. And yeah, we have some pretty good projects every year coming out from this school. And I just wanted to Give back my teaching as well, there to continue the, the wheel, basically. And um, at some point, I felt like developing wasn't enough for me. I wanted to go further than that and explore art, basically. So I had some art classes back in the day, but I wasn't really attentive, let's say. <laughs> it was a bit boring to me, but yeah, these past years have been really eye opening, I would say. Like, I was like, oh yeah, this is what the teacher <laughs> wanted to say back in the day. It's, and I started to develop my own things here and there, and yeah, here I am. So I had, I try to combine yeah, my software engineering skills with art, basically, more or less.
0: Yeah, and what I was just saying, I think all three of you are very much masters of narratives in your practice, and that's very evident in all of your works. And another thing that I think really comes to the top of all of your works is texture plays quite an important role in at least in your past projects, Mm. um, especially your long forms. And Iskra, I would say that your work is much, you see the textures within the lines. And William, your signature style is that graphite, as well as paper. And then Emily, paper has played quite a large role specifically in Flowers and Bloom as well as of your other past projects um, with Bright Moments and Artbox. Can you guys talk about how this space of texture plays in coding? Because I think a lot of the traditional art crowd would be like, how do you create texture
1: when you're just writing a line of code?
3: Who want to go first? <laughs> Emily, maybe?
1: Sure. So I think what's really fascinating to me is that sense of materiality in generative art. And I think that's a really interesting sort of discussion that to think about as you're making your art as an artist, because like in the space particularly, because you know at the end of the day, your medium is literally like intangible what you display on the screen is just pixels on a screen right so i think like it's really fascinating as an artist for me to explore that sort of dynamic like what does it mean to create texture what does it mean to create something that's so material when at the end of the day it's just bits right and so that's why i'm so fascinated by it but the process itself is just like really takes advantage of that generative aspect of Generative art, you know, like really leaning into the machine's capabilities. So that means for me, like to create texture, it means creating shape primitives over and over and over again, lightly, like at very light opacities and sort of overlaying them on top of each other and using that to generate texture and oftentimes doing that according to like natural looking distribution. So yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on texture. I'd be curious to hear from William and Iskra because their their work is also just so phenomenal in uh, the level of texture.
2: Yeah, I think um, in my case depends on the project. I feel sometimes digital art doesn't need texture because I uh, sometimes it feels like very natural without texture because it's not material. And sometimes I, I just like to embrace, you know, the nature of, of them of something digital, which is like so clean. For me, it happens when I work with concrete shapes, even if it's a being or a building or something, but when I play with landscapes and something that tries to represent, you know, sky or a sea or grass, or, you know, something that really tries to get into the world around and represent something familiar to us, I like to play with textures there. And I do like you said, Emily basically it's nothing more than you know adding millions of lines millions of shapes playing with you know opacities overlappings and then playing with different browsers to see the difference because that affects a lot and yeah my process is that you know at the end it's a lot in my case playing with scales actually if i put like the right scale you'll see a shape but if i put like a very crazy scale for example you'll go to the very, very detail without knowing which shape is because you're not like 20 times the scale. So at the end, you go to a very little detail with actually it's noise at the end. So it's um, a bit of mess, which you use as as a texture. So this is uh, my process.
3: I really like what you're saying, Iskra, because I think it's the same for me. It depends on the projects. And for something, when the subject, the idea is fully... Digital, thing, sometimes you don't need texture. It's good at clean as it is. In my experience, I've started art, you know, with classic stuff like gouache, acrylic, uh, paper and all. And I think it's reproducing this texture with code is for me a way to to link my practice from the physical to digital. But with the generative art possibilities, you can just enhance what couldn't be possible with real life. So for me, just like a bridge, I think i'm building i really try to think a lot about this because this question comes a lot from time to time and yeah i think for me it's just about being grounded to what i'm doing in physical and because i really like to play with texture and light and colors because you know these these three components are really at the core of my practice i i would say and i think i couldn't get maybe i could maybe I couldn't, I don't know. I still need to explore, but I feel my brain needs to reproduce what is seen in real life to connect with me and with others. So it's really communicative in a way. I think that's the way I approach the textures. What I love about exploring textures, because it's all about observation and I just love to observe, you know, I I could grab a piece of paper and just look at it for an hour and say, okay, it takes some notes and say, okay, yeah, there's this little sparkle grain, and and it just makes a, a good base to work on and a good challenge as well to do it with code. So yeah, about challenge and about communication, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think the word observation that you just used is really an interesting point, because I think for all three of you, that's very evident in how you build your works as well. And I would say all three of you very much pull inspirations from the past, Or if not inspirations, you discuss how various movements and figures have impacted you as a person or the project you're creating or singular work. Can you guys talk about kind of the research you guys do on that side or how you've been inspired by leading figures before you? Because I think all three of you have, at least from my knowledge, extensively discussed some people that have influenced you in your work. Isco, we can talk about your work specifically in this show of Lines and Bones, because I know there's one art historical figure that you kind of have a direct conversation with.
2: Yeah, well, I would like to, but yeah, it's a try and intent to talk with him. Well, I think even if we are not aware of that, we are, of course, influenced by many people from the past actually now with generative art. I know everyone has its own style, but at the end, we're playing with shapes, with colors. And that's something that we we take from the past uh, century, actually. You know, um, the Bauhaus and the suprematists before. And, you know, there is something that we just, it's inside of us, even if we don't realize that. So I think that's an influence that we all have. Regarding the Lines and Bones, my project for the show, for me, your approach was a very beautiful approach. And very, it made like a lot of sense for me. This kind of game with input and output, uh, what can we uh, put on the machine, which will be the the output of the machine, which is our input based on our influences from the past. So all this uh, mix of things made a lot of sense for me. So, yeah, my project, very in short, is about this kind of relationship with nature and how with a very, very few lines of code, something emerged from there, which is very organic in this case a human eye it's like five lines of code literally so this this thing is something that really impresses me of our way of dealing with the machine so yeah i wondered who could i ask you know in the past where are we going with with this and i immediately thought about Kazimir malevich he's something that inspired a lot of us In a way that maybe we are not realizing actually, but this kind of uh, search for truth, for what's behind nature, the basic shapes and all these things, you know, made me think of him. And I wrote a letter to him, like very humble letter, you know, just to express him because he was so interested in this kind of research about the connection between us and the context around the truth. But also he was so against technology, or this is how I understood his thoughts. So I really wanted, you know, to, in a very poetic way, write a letter to him and tell him, okay, that's how it was like uh, more than 100 years ago. But now we have these machine learning techniques. We have this kind of a huge collective source of memory, let's say a source of knowledge that we can use maybe to, to get deeper in us. So... I try to make it like a a kind approach to to someone that we have to take things from him in what we are doing now from him and from from many, many other people. So, yes.
0: Yeah. And for the listeners, just going into what Iskra is highlighting of her work, alongside the digital work will be a physical G-Clay print as well as Iskra has provided us the napkins that she originally wrote, The Five Lines of Code and her letter to Malevich. So those will be framed alongside the artworks physically in the show. So you will be able to see that whole relationship and, at one time. But to you, Emily, how has like art history, because you have quite a knowledge and you talk about this, like, has played into your works. And I think your past projects specifically, you can really see shapes, that have been pulled from inspiration from like the Bauhaus, for example, if you want to speak to that.
1: Sure. Yeah, you're probably referring to um, the last project I released, which was off script through bright moments. And that project definitely leaned into sort of my studies in modern art. And I think like, you know, it's pretty evident that there's pretty direct inspiration from Matisse. There's inspiration from Picasso. It's a lot about studying kind of this idea of composition and shape and form, materiality and texture and color, kind of distilling all the elements of an image down into its fundamental parts. And that's what a lot of those uh, modernists were doing at the time. They were all discussing kind of medium and material you know at the end of the day like Matisse doing his cutouts it was about distilling every all of his art knowledge into like one fell swoop of the scissors right like taking all of that and sort of transforming it into just like a line cut and so I think like I wanted to also explore that pure medium and material exploring that in 20th century modern art means something totally different than exploring that when it comes to generative art where your medium is code right and so i thought that'd be a fascinating discussion so that was what that piece is all about leaned into that and i think like in other sort of past art historical like figures that have influenced my work would also be Japanese woodblock artists like Hokusai, Mm -hmm. right? probably most famous for the Uh, the Great Wave of Kanagawa. And that sort of influence, that sort of reference played into, for example, my uh, work with Memories of Lin. So yeah, definitely continually drawing on examples in the past. I truly believe that art is always in dialogue with itself, with its own past. And so I think like roping that into the discussion is important for me.
0: For sure. And then, William, I would love for you to speak about the figures that inspired anti Cyclone Because it was a kind of a Twitter thread that you outlined various women in your life represents the different color palettes. And it, it was just absolutely a beautiful story that I would love for you to take a couple seconds to highlight. Because I don't know if that many people actually familiar with your work know the story behind like the color palettes and how those figures have impacted your work.
3: Yeah, definitely. And it's like, was a really good way to convey what makes me, in terms of color and intention, and also the story, because there are two sides. There are the side of the colors, and what inspires the colors, and also the whole side of... Because the tornado is all about negativity, and usually it's they have like women names, and I was like, that's up, and I wanted to pay tribute to that, and to put a spotlight on women with this. So it was a good way to convey this idea. And then I think the most impactful figures who impacted the uh, intercyclone colors was Sonia Delone. I think it's a big influence for me. How she used colors and mainly primary colors. So it's amazing what you could do with just this and from the variation. And it's really inspiring. And yeah, I think about other figures because I have so much because I, it's really funny because I started art many years ago and then I forgot everything. And now the visual arts, I do. I really see how the past influenced me. So it's like a retrospection to go in the past, but within your own eyes. So it's really funny to see how you've been influenced without knowing it. So yeah, there's so many, like, I don't know, uh, like Malevich, uh, Malevich, I don't know what to say. Uh, yeah, Paul, Kline, uh, Clint, Vazar, Vazarelli, Bridget Wail, uh, De Kooning. De Kooning, yes. Yeah, so good, like, the brushwork of decoding was amazing to me. And I often try to do it in code. I often fail, but one day, <laughs> one day I'll succeed. Yeah, Matisse, obviously, the alberts. Yeah, the alberts are so good with colors and shapes. It's really inspiring as well. There is so many, yeah, I think art has, I mean, he said it's dialogue and it's in constant evolution. So you can't go from A to Z, you know, you have to do all the letters in between. And I think with digital art we're just starting to scratch the surface and we don't know yet where it will be in 20 years and sometimes i see people criticizing generative art or digital art are just replicates of you know what we've been seeing in the past but i think it's just like a natural evolution you can't invent something brand new from scratch you know you have always starting point. so this starting point is always different for everyone but there's so much art history that is normal. And I think at some point we'll come by somewhere that we don't know yet, but it will.
0: Yeah, and I think we're in a very interesting time within like the NFT generative art community. Because with art on chain, essentially, like long form, it's been probably like two years since it would hit the mainstream NFT world, I would say. It's still not mainstream art world, but I would say all three of you kind of have a recognizable style now i don't want to say like a mature style because you guys are all experimenting and constantly like moving forward but would you guys say that you've created a signature style or agree or disagree with that because i think if someone put a work in front of me by any of three of you i could be like yes that's an isker work yes that's an emily work yes that's a william work and so do you think you have a signature style or want to have a
3: signature style? I'd like to not have signature style in, in a specific thing, like, oh yeah, William can recreate cold paper perfectly. But I don't want that. I would like to specialize myself you know, into maybe texturing, but as a concept, you know. So maybe if you see something very great textured, you, you'll think, oh, maybe it's William. I think that I would prefer people to identify me you know, as a concept than more like a specific thing like a specific color or specific texture. Because yeah, as you say, I'm I think I'm still evolving. I'm quite a young artist. I think an artist evolves his or her heart for life. It's like a lifelong thing. It's not something you develop and boom, you're the master artist. It. Maybe it's today I have style, but maybe in two years it will change. And that's what I like with some of the artists i named just before. When I go see them in some exhibition, sometimes you see the progression and yeah, maybe at year one, it was this style and at some point it was another style. And maybe at the end of the career, everything like merge and it makes sense. So I'd like to, for me, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going somewhere. It will make sense at some point.
2: Well, in my case, I do like to have a style associated to myself. I think now uh, you, Abigail, you you talk about uh, long form projects. I think we were discussing before about long form projects, and I don't really understand what is exactly a long form project because, of course, I know what it is. Yeah, we'll circle back to that. It's like a context this, you know. I think working in long form projects where we're trying to figure out now what it is, for me, I have a lot of uh, questions. It's like, one of the editions. it's the whole project what's exactly your work there but uh, before getting there we have a lot of constraints in in the long form we have to do it diverse we have to uh, build it consistent itself we have to play with a lot of different you know outputs not so at the end That also challenge your own style because you have to make so different things, but at the end they have to be your son or daughter, you know, like at the end, it's like from one algorithm, but this for me challenge your own style. So this is talking about one long form, but when you release like five, six, seven long projects, you have like a huge mess there. So I think more than having a style. What you can find from the artists, you know, in the combination of many long-form projects, it's like a nuance, you know. It's something that you don't really know what, what it is, but, you know, someone, there are artists who play with very, very soft colors or very soft shapes or there are artists that play with stories and, and you see that story. So it's not a very simple question anymore, I think, about which is your style. Your style, it's about maybe the way you code or not. So, I don't know, it, it just... For me it's a hard question about the style of someone
1: today uh, in terms of journey.
0: And what about you Emily?
1: I think personally for me I do care about having a signature style. I think like signature style is kind of like an interesting way to put it. I'm not sure if I would call it that but maybe more like visual evidence of what I care about. For me I would say that memories of Chelin was like an important turning point for me in my career as an artist, because for the first time, well, I would say it marked my transition from like a creative coding hobbyist, someone who was just doing experiments and sort of playing around and like learning techniques to that of an artist, because that algorithm was the first time in my life that I felt I had created something that truly sort of expressed myself that I felt like I could identify with that I felt like had me in it. It was the first time that I felt like I identified with an algorithm. And so I think I've been continually kind of latched onto that and sort of thought, like, what more was there? Like, is there to explore? Like, how much further can I sort of explore myself using aspects of this or sort of something I realize I care a lot about is, like, textures and patterns, bringing disparate elements together into, like, a final piece. I care a lot about that. I care a lot about variety and colors. And so, yeah, like, I hope that's, like, evident in my work. I hope that style quote-unquote, style is there, because I do think that really underscores a lot about what I care about. And I think, though, of course, like what to William's point, kind of about evolution, I expect myself to sort of go through different movements of my own visual aesthetic. At some point, I know that I'll want to explore other things, and I expect to bring parts of what I've cared about in the past into this new, quote-unquote, style. But yeah, I think... It's important to always have a part of yourself in your algorithm, like for it to show through visually.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think style is more about your personality and what you want to communicate rather than a specific effect. Sometimes you see an artist and even if it's not the same visual style, you can recognize the composition and how they put the shapes together and the colors and how they build relationships in the composition. And I think that's what style is, and rather than a specific aesthetics.
0: Yeah. And I kind of want to shift the conversation slightly, because I think a lot with generative art is often only discussed the visual outputs. And in reality, like the medium of generative art is not the visual, it's the coding. And it's really hard, obviously, when discussing these artworks to know the nuances of code. And I think you guys... A really interesting thing to consider is you guys could have a signature style that's just obviously not visible as a visual output, but we can't see it in the code unless we read the script. I think it's super interesting to consider as well as a like an audience that we might not even know. Like There might be a certain function that Iskra loves to use repetitively, and we might just not know that because it we don't know the connection visually which is i think is a really interesting thing to consider in this new movement and i want to circle back to long form and so for the listeners i want to establish a couple things with you guys what is generative art and to my understanding is like the use of an autonomous system so you put in a code or you can train a system in the case of ai to create an output so you put input a data set or parameters in those functions. The autonomous system can imbue itself of a act of randomness. However, the parameters you guys decide as coders, and then it creates a visual output. Short form, in my understanding, has what we've always been known since like the 1960s of generative output. It's kind of like a singular work. And then long form generative art has recently emerged with the use of blockchain. And that is when you can almost create like a series of work from a line of code. And you guys can correct me on this as well. And I'd love for you to correct me in these definitions, because I think viewers and listeners who don't have the technical background are very, very interested to hear these understandings of these terms. If anyone wants to chime in on their under- your guys's
3: technical backgrounds with long form and short form definitions. Maybe I can start and we can discuss. Yeah, I think long form, something is really undervalued is how consistent a long form series has to be and how much energy we have to put in it to make it happen. Because when you do the short form, cherry picking, it's more about you can explore and have a lot of trash, as I would say, maybe a lot of fails and say, okay, maybe not this one and this one, and at some point it clicks and say, okay, I'm going to stay on this one and work on it. Like long form and on-chain art is different. I think that's not something that is really understood because a lot of time when I talk with collectors and people outside of coding, they're like, they don't understand the value compared to something really crafted for one single occasion. But at the same time, I think it's interesting because if you don't understand it yet, it means that it's groundbreaking. It means there is something here to work on, and there is an evolution in our practice. If people can't understand it yet, so yeah.
2: I think there are two very different approaches to one work. I mean, in my case, when I develop a, a system, I begin, you know, to observe the result of the system. I actually, know if I want to go through a long form or just stay in one of ones, because sometimes it feels like there is a story that should be told like through a long form. Sometimes it's because the system has not such a variety for me, which is like the opposite of of how we used to think about long form. But for example, if there is like a very linear story in the outputs that I have, I would say like yeah this is a great story to tell with a long form with a very few variations but you have cities or whatever you know and fit it into something like longer but that some sometimes i just have systems that they have a very strong complexity on shapes or uh, colors or combinations or something and for me this is like a work i don't need to have 200 of little beings you know just changing colors or something it's for me this is like a one of one and then i start working on it and i think it's easier for sure work on on a one of one but also gives you you know the chance to really create a story around and take your time to tune it at the end and then you know agree with the exact color because there is a beauty in the long form which is the surprise and which is you know this unexpected result this is so beautiful for me but there is also beauty on getting into the very, very final detail of one of one Then it's just like a different thing. And, and I wouldn't like to see, you know, the evolution of generative art being like so much into just long form. Because, you know, one of one we are starting to believe it's not the proper definition of generative art. And for me, it, it is generative. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I, I think it depends on on, on the project itself. And it depends on what the story tells you and how you want to express that through your work,
1: in my case. I agree. Oh, yeah, I agree. That was beautifully put, Iskra.
0: Yeah, I think for me, someone very more like coming from the academic side of the traditional art, it's just such a change and shift in how an artist like, occupies space when creating a work. Which I think is the most interesting thing for me right now in generative art is like when you code, you have this idea in your head of what it's going to look like. But it's different from having like a pencil or a paintbrush in your hand. Because the idea exists in your mind, and then you have to go through all these steps and then like let's say press enter, and then the system creates the artwork. You're almost occupying like two spaces, yourself and the machine. And it's a completely different plane of creating an artwork which I think when we reflect in like 50 years on these amazing things happening right now that's what academics are going to be talking about is like a shift from contemporary art where like the artist is now occupying a different space and so this is getting more into like philosophy and I'd love for you all three of you to kind of discuss the space you occupy as an artist or if you even agree with that.
3: I would say that even a third very important point is the random aspect of generative art, and yes, yeah, sometimes don't understand that generative art is about randomness and how you control or let go of randomness. And I think that's a really interesting concept for us because I don't know if a lot of other practices have this concept while while creating. Because for us, is that it's the core of the practice how. Can you vary shapes? How can you you know look for very colors and position, stuff like that? And we have an idea, but you know this this idea will be completed somehow at some point by something else that you don't know. And I think that's something really beautiful, you know, to rely on randomness. And sometimes you're like, okay, this is too random, I wanna control a bit, shape it. And I think that's the thing also with uh, long form. A bad thing about long form granted art is you want to control a lot randomness. While when you just do one like unique output, you can be surprised yourself by the random, you know, because it's don't matter. Like everything that is not good we, won't be seen by other people. But with long form, you, yeah, you can't let your algorithm do its life. Whatever happens, it will happen because there will be some stuff that are not conveying what you wanted to say. So yeah, the randomness I think is a very important component of our practice.
1: I absolutely loved what William just said and totally agree with it. Like randomness is such an important part. I think it's oftentimes about defining the parameters of randomness too. It's like a delicate dance with the machine. Like it's a conversation that you're having back and forth as you're developing. And for me, a lot of the times it's about like, okay, so I'm going to tell the machine that like, when you generate this for a series, particularly long form, there will be a parameter space that you explore, you're defining the bands of it, like maybe it's a narrow space that it traverses, maybe you're allowing the machine to go through a much more wide space. And for different parameters, that space is going to be different. And I think a lot of long form generative art is about defining the boundaries, I guess.
2: Yes, I would say, I think, I don't know if you agree with that, but I was thinking about this um, during the summer, you know, free time, you think a lot. And I was about, this is the first time in history that actually art doesn't depend on on the artist itself, like in the whole story. So even if if you're thinking about, you know, the last, of contemporary art you know like the most crazy abstract things that you the jokes about yeah, th- this can be painted by a kid or you know you have like a huge freedom in the pieces sometimes but even in these cases you are the one who throw the paint and the brushes and everything but now it's like you're just giving a small percentage of control and then the machine gives you something and that's for the first time something happening so yeah, dealing with this, uh, I like to think we are getting ready to be surprised or something like that. We are, we are just giving some clues to how we want to be surprised or something. So that's, I think, for the first time. And it's not easy, I think, to understand even for us, not to mention, you know, to the rest of the people, how is this work being presented. But this is something very differential.
3: Yeah, I like to say when I do gentle art, I'm Expecting the unexpected, like I want the unexpected. So I will put all the conditions to be surprised. I don't want too much control, at least at the beginning of the project, because I have this idea yet. Yeah. But I think my role as a generative artist is to let the machine talk to me as well. What is the boundaries? Because you know we can't see it, we can't even imagine it with our brains, because there's so many parameters, so many stuff we don't see we can't understand so I think yeah it's very important as gentle artists to let go and to not be too much in control because we can't know what's to come
1: and I would also add that element of surprise is kind of what lends to a lot of maybe the emotionality around making, like, long-form generative art, I think, like, a lot of people might look at generative art as kind of this cold, inexpressive medium, because you're programming, right? And it's, like, totally logical in a lot of ways. But I would say that there's a performance to kind of making generative art, and that's, that's kind of, like, a conversation between you and the machine. And a lot of the times what the machine does, like, that is an extremely emotional thing. Like, sometimes you are surprised, as Iskra and William bring up, and sometimes when you're surprised you're like upset like why did my algorithm do this this looks so bad or sometimes you're surprised and you're like extremely uh delighted about it like oh my god i cannot believe that my algorithm put this out and so i think like with long-form generative art especially like there's a lot of emotion in the sense that like once you release the algorithm what's out there is out there you can be upset by what it produced you can be like delighted and that to me, is like in some ways, generative art is more emotional than uh, some of the other art forms I've done. It's more emotional than painting. It's for me, it's more emotional yeah. than drawing. You imagine that these are the most expressive mediums where you're directly connecting with what you're creating. But in this machine-defined space, I think like there is just so much there.
2: Yeah, I would say yeah, exactly. I think nobody talks about how stressful is to deliver a long-form project because if you deliver like a classic artwork. You can be stressed until you finish the work, but then you deliver that, you exhibit the work and you're fine. But then here, when you, after months of uh, stress, you deliver the work and then the stress comes up, you know, it will be great. It won't be great. Uh, that would be some piece uh, wrong or something. So that's like, a, yeah, another level of stress when you finish an artwork.
3: Yeah, it's so stressful, oh my God. Even thinking about it gives me chills, you know, it's, it's horrible because you don't know if you coded the thing well, if there is you no know, any breaches, you know, that you didn't anticipate. Did you test as much as possible? Because, you know, it's not something when you do something on the blockchain, it's not something you can just patch easily, you know. You can't just push a button and update it. So what you deliver is the final thing. And as long as the blockchain lives. <laughs> So it's really hard for, you know, it's so stressful to, to release a long-form project. And I would say another really frustrating thing for me is, I don't know if a thousand of outputs were enough. Maybe it was like 10,000, maybe 20,000, because I will take, for example, Anticyclone. Sometimes, from time to time, I still run it, the algorithm, and I'm still surprised by it. And I'm like, shit, it didn't come out when it was an app I wanted to show up and it didn't. And now I'm like left with all this outputs in my folders and like what I'm gonna do with it yeah should I continue mm-hmm. uh, I don't know is, is it over What what's long form is it over when you put it on the blockchain or did, does it leave if you say so I don't know you know
0: yeah and I think these are all questions that are like coming to rise like just now in this space and I think like what at Unit London we're trying to do is like give a space to all of you artists to explore those questions and see what you can put in presentation and experiment in those forms. And that's why I'm so excited for the show, like in our code is it's really getting to the point of that relationship, like that emotional relationship behind the artwork and hopefully um, showcasing to the audience of what goes into a work, not just an emphasis on the final visual output, because generative art is so much more than that. And it should be express like we express painting like so much of writing is about the process not just the final product and that's what I'm really excited for the show and for you all three of you as artists um we are coming up to the end and something we do at the very end of all of our guests is we have a list of questions that we ask every single person and the only thing we ask of you is to answer them either in one word or one sentence and they're purposely vague Yeah, they're formatted to be vague. So interpret as you may, just to be more spontaneous with it. And just to keep it moving, we'll go Iskra, Emily, and William for responses, and then cycle through it that way. But our first question, and I think I've asked all three of you kind of already individually at a different point. But Iskra, we'll start with you. What does inner code mean to you? Process, I would say process. And then for you, Emily? Bringing yourself into an algorithm.
3: And for me, I would say similar to so Emily's humanness. Beautiful.
0: And our second question is, what inspires you in the space? Nature. And then for you, Emily? Other artists.
3: For me, it's color. I'm really drawn. I always think in terms of the color first.
0: Perfect. Our third question is, what is one artist you'd love to own an NFT by?
2: I would like to see more uh, film directors in the NFT space. I am... Um cinema lover, let's say. And I I would like to see more engagement with uh,
1: the film industry and and the NFTs. And for you, Emily? Probably an artist I would like to collect, maybe um, Ix shells. Really love kind of her thinking around her art. She's really inspiring to me as well. I agree.
3: I think for me to be Matt Delorier. I own some of his work, but I definitely need to get to Meridian.
0: And then our last one is what technological advancements do you think this space needs?
2: I think we are fine with the technology we have so far. I think our job now is to really define better the concept behind what can we do with this technology. We have blockchain behind, we have the technology to do our work, but how can we connect this? How can we make bigger the services? And you know, at the end platforms like our blocks in the beginning, they define what is a long form, for example. So we have the technology, but uh, we have to define, you know, how we uh, we can do with that. So for me, it's about the concept. And then for you, Emily?
1: I would like to see more immersive display modalities. Right now we're, we have our computer to display our NFTs and digital art. We also have screens, but like, is there anything else that we can do aside from displays like pixelated display sorry, pixel displays like are there displays that bring out texture somehow that are electronic are there displays that kind of are slightly more immersive installation types i think there's a lot that can be done to sort of enhance the experience of the art and then for you william
3: i wanted to say display but uh, we said it already so (laughs) i definitely think it's going too fast so let's slow it down a bit NFT space, at least, is too fast for me. One thing I'd like to add into the long form or even digital art in general is the um, concept of time, temporality. I'd like to make living pieces. So if I could have you know, some sort of input of dates or whatever about the means or something, you know, I could make a piece that is living in the time. So that could be nice, I think, uh, living pieces.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, all three. And again, for all the listeners, you can see Iskra's, Emily's, and William's work physically on display at Unit London from September 13th to October 16th here in London. And if you aren't able to make the show, all works will be um, available to view online at unitlondon.com. And so thank you all three for joining us today. And yeah, we can't wait for the show and to continue watching the works you guys create.
3: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for tuning into Unit on Chain, a podcast series from Unit London. Visit our generative art exhibition in our code at Unit London on display from September 13th to October 16th. You can find the transcript of this conversation on our blog at unitlondon.com. Subscribe to our podcast and tune in next week, where we'll be talking to Zach Lieberman and Che Yu Wu about finding poetic and interactive experience in creative coding. Join AOI's Discord channel for Friday masterclasses, an exclusive look into the creative process of some of today's top NFT artists. Tune in this Friday to learn about Che Yu Wu's new work. Find links in the description.